As, as you know, it, it's Memorial Day tomorrow, and um, I would like to uh, remind you, as we saw on the screens, that you know it says freedom is not free. It, it is a we're here today, and we live in such a wonderful country because uh, people have paid the ultimate price for us. So, may I, as the offering plate is being passed, may I invite all of those who have served our country in the services? Would you please stand now so we could say thank you to you in a very small way, all of you service people who are here with us today. Oh, th thank you, Minuwin. Let's thank you. Thank you. Thank you. They're still popping up here. So, thank you so much for what you've done for us, giving us such a good land to live in for your service to our country. I'd like to begin this uh, morning by, um, we're going to have a show of hands, okay? Here's, you have to raise your hand, not yet until, until I tell you what to raise your hand for. Um, how many of you have ever felt guilty about your prayer life? Would you please raise your hand? Good. I figured that. I, I took a, 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 a poll just now, and I think I got 100%. Okay, so that's, that's a good, good result. Now, would you please now uh, take a Bible or an iPad or your cell phone, whatever it may be where you have a Bible, and would you please hold it up? Okay, here's the question. How many people in this book communicate the fact that they're guilty about their prayer life? You're right. Zero. Not one. There's not a single person in this book, and there are over a thousand people mentioned in this book, way more than First Baptist Church. Now, if that's true, that 100% of you, and I had my hand up too, by the way, if 100% of us all feel guilty about our prayer life, and not one person in the Bible expresses guilt over their prayer life, what's wrong? Something's wrong. What's wrong? Well, I, I, don't, I didn't know what was wrong until some years ago I came across a book. The book was a book by Charles Swindoll, and, and the book is called Strengthening Your Grip. And he has a chapter in that book that's entitled Strengthening Your Grip on Prayer. And this is what he writes. In no way do I wish to be disrespectful by saying the following things. But I believe it's time somebody declared them to help clarify the barrier that keeps us from entering into authentic prayer. That barrier is the traditional wrappings that have been placed around prayer. Not even the grand models of church history admitted to much joy or peace or satisfaction in their prayer life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, for example, once admitted that his prayer experience was something to be ashamed of. The German reformer Martin Luther anguished in prayer, saving three of the best hours each day to pray, 
and he was seldom satisfied. Go down through the list, and we find one after another working hard at prayer, but frequently we'll find they're dissatisfied, some of them even woefully unhappy about their prayer life. E.M. Bound, Samuel Rufford, Rutherford, Hudson Taylor, John Henry Jewett, G. Campbell Morgan, Joseph Parker, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, F.B. Meyer, A.W. Tozer, H.A. Ironside, V. Raymond Edmund, William Culbertson, on and on, every one of them expressed horror over their prayer life. They labored, in, I'm quoting Swindle, they labored in prayer, they believed in prayer, they taught prayer, they preached prayer, but why the dissatisfaction? Why the guilt or disappointment or embarrassment? I ask you, why? Why does every Christian feel guilty about their prayer life, but in the Word of God there's no one? Last I knew, prayer was supposed to relieve our anxieties, not increase them. Prayer is supposed to take away our guilt, not increase it. So Swindoll wrestled with it, and here's his answer, which I believe is absolutely true. At the risk of sounding downright heretical, I am convinced that for centuries, Christians have forced prayer into a role it was never designed to play I would suggest that we have made it difficult, hard, even painful. The caricature that has emerged through years of traditional, not biblical modeling is now a guilt-giving discipline, not an anxiety-relieving practice. It is self-imposed. It does not come from God. Are you ready for a shocker? You don't find any of that in the Scriptures. Except in few and extreme cases, prayer is neither long nor hard to bear. And I cannot find any biblical characters who struggled with guilt because they didn't pray long enough or because they weren't in enough pain or because they failed to plead and beg sufficiently. Check it out for yourself. It is not there. We live in a world today in which we read a lot of books about things, but we don't read the book. We read a lot of biographies about great Christians, but we neglect the book. And the last I knew, we're not supposed to be getting our guidelines on anything, including prayer, from somebody's prayer experience, especially those who are dissatisfied. We're supposed to be getting our cues on prayer from the Word of God. Now, the Word of God includes hundreds and hundreds of prayers. I have a list of them. I forget the number right now. It's very large. But when we, when, when we get our idea of what prayer is all about, we don't get it from the Bible. And that's why it doesn't produce what God has wanted us to get from prayer. And so today, we're going to go to one of the most magnificent passages in the Bible on prayer because it is a prayer. In the book of Ephesians, and I wish you would turn there with me in your Bible, you'll find that there are three prayers that Paul includes in this, in this, uh, in this book of his. Because when he extols the incredible greatness of God, he can't stop praying. He just prays. And so today we're going to look at the first of those prayers in chapter 1. And we're going to try to take some of our cues about prayer from the Bible. And you might see that it's going to change a few of the things you might think about prayer. Let's hope it does that. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23 is our text of Scripture. Now remember, 
Paul, when he writes this, he's in prison. He's in Rome in a prison. He's writing back to a group of people in present-day Turkey in the city of Ephesus. He's in Rome. He's writing to them and he's t- because he loves this church. This is a church that he spent more time in this place than anywhere else, three years. So he loves these people. And we're going to find him now. He's going to pray for them. And let's see what we can learn from the apostles' prayer. And as you look at it, you'll see that the main words of his prayer is that you may know him. And I think I saw that here, didn't I? There it is. Every week you come in here and that's what you see, to know him. It's actually taken exactly from Ephesians chapter 1. Now, we pray usually because something causes us to pray. So we're going to start with what prompted Paul to pray. Now, what prompts us to pray? I'm going to guess that in about an hour, almost everyone in this group is going to pray. What's going to prompt you? Food. Yes, you got it. Food is going to prompt you to pray. You're going to, before you sit down at your lunch meal today, you're going to give thanks to God for the provision of your food. Um, Some of you, like myself, when I was a child, before I went to bed at night, I went, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep you probably some routine maybe it's a bedtime routine and and that's one of the reasons that prompts us to pray some of us pray because of certain meetings Uh, Anita announced that there's going to be on Tuesday an elder prayer meeting so sometimes we're prompted to pray by uh, a meeting that takes place Um, for many churches people in many churches all over the world it's tradition that prompts us to pray Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In many churches all over the world, they'll be praying the Lord's Prayer today. Sometimes, probably the most important thing that uh, prompts us to pray is crisis. Help! Help! I need your help. That's a, a big prompter of prayer. Sometimes we pray because we have a prayer list. I know that I'm on prayer lists, including my mother's prayer list, for which I'm very grateful that she stops every day to pray for me, her son, because she has a prayer list. So, We have many things that prompt us to pray. Now let's look at what prompted Paul to pray. And you'll see there are two things in this text of Scripture that prompted him to pray. Here's the first one. For this reason. You put those words there because there must be a reason. What's the reason? Well, we're going to go back and we'll see that he's got a reason. For this reason... Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, Paul has two things in this text of Scripture, and there are others throughout the Bible, but there are two things here that prompts Paul to pray. The first one is for this reason. Remember last week, the Apostle Paul is is expounding in one sentence that goes on and on and on and on and on. He's In one sentence, he's extolling the incredible blessings that are ours because we're in Christ. Blessings that God the Father gives us. Blessings that God the Son gives us. Blessings that God the Holy Spirit gives us. He says, oh my goodness, as I ponder what God is like and what he has done for this reason, I pray. So the first thing that prompts him to pray is just the contemplation of the greatness and the goodness of God. But the second one is apparently the Apostle Paul had been given word. Someone brought a a letter or something from Ephesus to Rome, handed it to him in prison, and they said in this letter, 
the church that you planted, Paul, is really doing well. The people really love the Lord Jesus Christ. They're living their faith actively, and they love one another. So what does Paul do when he hears that news? He prays. So two things prompt his prayer. One, as he contemplates the goodness and the greatness of God, he prays. And when he hears about good things God is doing in people's lives, he prays. Those are his two. Now, um, when I was in seminary uh, a number of years ago, I had a pr my favorite professor. He was a man named Victor Walters. Um, I think he was my only professor that didn't have a doctorate degree. And I think he might have been the only, the only um, professor who was actually a pastor. Maybe that's why I liked him so much. I don't know. But um, Victor Walters, after he left the seminary where I, was, where I attended, he, became, he went into the church as a pastor in Cheyenne, Wyoming. So he pastored his church in Cheyenne. And some years after I was out of seminary, I was reading a magazine, and I came across an article by Victor Walters. It was entitled... Um, our shocking lessons in prayer. What Victor Walters did when he came to the church in Cheyenne, they had a the, the traditional Wednesday evening prayer meeting. And so what he decided to do with this group of people who faithfully came to pray each week, he decided that they were going to study the prayers of the Bible and use the prayers of the Bible as their guide, which is a very good idea. But it shocked him. I quote now from this article, our shocking lessons on prayer. In Genesis, we found 45 prayers. 35 of them initiated by God. Most often, God began the prayer chat with man. We concluded that we enjoyed too few silences, too little fruitful meditation during which our Father had access to our ears. So we decided to experiment in listening for God in quiet moments and then responding at once to the prayer burdens God's Spirit gave us. So he said the first thing we noticed is that most prayer in Genesis at least, and I would submit to you most prayer in the Bible, it doesn't begin with us. It begins with God. God in some way, because prayer is, is talking to God, and talking involves two ways, and talking to somebody involves listening to them. And, and so he said, the first thing we realized is that many prayers in the Bible are initiated by God, not by us. But here's the second one. Paul's prayers reinforced what was succeeding Paul did not pray for things that went awry or for the programs that sagged. He prayed for the commendable. If there were church problems, Paul addressed these firmly and correctively. Meanwhile, he prayed for what was going well. We are so prone to reverse this in our church life. We take for granted that which is succeeding, and we undergird the faltering and the problem-ridden. When was the last time you offered intercessory prayer undergirding your strongest program? Oh, God! Our Wednesday evening prayer meeting is going to pot. Help! Well, it may be... I shouldn't say that being from Colorado. That's a bad thing to say. Um, <laughs> and those of you got that one. Um, but... 
He, he doesn't do that. How often uh, here in your prayers here at First Baptist Church do you go, oh God, I can't believe you've given us such a wonderful children's ministry. And by the way, I have heard about this. It's wonderful. Oh God, thank you. And may you cause that ministry to blossom so that more and more children are able to be built up in Christ through that ministry. Oh God, thank you. Thank you so much for providing Shane Rosty as our pastor for our children, our, our youth and our, our college. Thank you. Oh, may you blossom the ministry he does. Oh, thank you, God, for the worship that we have, enjoy here each week at, at First Baptist Church. What a privilege we have. Thank you. May you cause that to blossom. You see how it's different? What we tend to do in our prayers is we focus on things that are failing rather than things that are succeeding. And what Viltry Walters noticed is that uh, when things are failing, you do something. <laughs> but when things are succeeding, you thank God. How seldom do we do that? I went on the internet this week and I looked at some things, uh, some very th few things on prayer. And uh, here's the first. I just wanted to put these little statements up there. Why did that person come to mind? Have you ever asked yourself that? Why, why do some, somebody pop into your mind? Is it possible? That's God. That's God's Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit is prompting you. Oh, why did they pop into your mind? What if we, with those prompts of God's Spirit, we go, oh God, there's a reason that person was put into my mind right now. May I have the privilege of interceding on their behalf before your throne. Or this, stopping to pray right where you are. This is one thing that happens to me. Maybe it never happens to you, but I'll bet it does. You're talking to someone and they say to you, would you pray for me? I get that a lot. And what I used to do is say, okay, yeah, I'll pray for you. And guess what I did? I forgot. I do it all the time. I forgot. So I knew how forgetful I am. I know that. So what I do when someone says, will you pray for me? I say, oh, you bet I will right now. I don't care where we are. Let's pray right now because I know I'm prone to forget things. And when God brings you to my mind, I'll pray. But let's pray right now. Let's stop right where we are. Um, in Longmont, where I live, uh, there, every major street corner, every one, there are people with signs saying, I need help. It, it's amazing how much that's happening now. But when, when, when those people are there on the street corner, our, our natural reaction, at least mine, and I suspect yours, is you, you turn away from them because you don't want to lock eyes with those people. But have you ever thought, you know, these are precious people. They've got fathers and mothers. They are probably fathers and mothers, and they're, they're special to God. Have you ever thought, you know, I wonder maybe, maybe I ought to pray for them. I started doing that some. People I don't even know. But you, you pray for them. You see, how often is God's goodness, does it prompt us to prayer? Or how often do things, the good things that God is doing in a body of Christ or in our own life or in our family? I don't know if you're like me. I have five children. And when you have children, you always have some of them that are doing well and some not doing so well. And I've noticed in my prayers, I, I focus overwhelmingly on those that are not doing well. And, and, and 
there's nothing wrong with that. But what about thanking God for the, for the, the children that are walking faithfully with God? What would it be like if you, as a parent, all your children, uh, you, you, you go out of your way to provide things for your children, and they say, well, give me this. Now, give me that. I want this. I want that. And they never say thank you to you. Wouldn't that hurt you a little bit? Well, God's a person. He, he wants us to thank Him, especially for things that are going well. So maybe that would alter our prayers a little bit. But now, as we get to the next section, we're going to see what does Paul pray for. Now, if you're like me again, I, I notice that my prayers overwhelmingly focus on physical things. The reason for that is because when your body is hurting, it screams. Ah, I, you can't see anything else. Physical pain screams. But... So often our prayers, including our prayer lists, include only physical things. Let's see now what Paul's going to pray for. And I assume that there are people in the Ephesian church who were suffering various diseases, and I'm sure he prayed for that. But let's see his main prayer. Here it goes. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Now, this is Paul's first prayer request. He says, my first prayer request for you, Ephesian believers, is I want you to know God better. Now, how do you get to know somebody better? Especially somebody that you've maybe never, never met. Uh, I am, my grandfather um, is the first Christian in my family that I know of. He came over to this country as an immigrant from Norway via Canada, came into the United States. He was sitting on a park bench in Chicago, Illinois, when some people from Salem Evangelical Free Church came and sat next to him. They invited him to church, and he went to church, and he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And then I have a copy of the letter he sent back to his family in Norway in 1917 when he became a believer. And I am named after him. My name is Olaf. That's my middle name. I'm, and I'm not a snowman, by the way. If, for those of you who know about Frozen. Um, I, um, my name is Thomas Olaf Hovestal. I'm named after my grandpa, Olaf Hovestal. Well, to my, I've never met him. He died just after I was born. And I never got to meet him. But I've heard some stories. He was a wonderful Christian man. But I wish I knew him. Now that my father has passed away, I, I, I say, oh, I kick myself. I say, oh, I wish I had asked Dad more about Grandpa. I'd like to know him. My grandpa was a carpenter, so that no one wrote any books about him. There's nothing I can read about my grandpa. But the best thing would ever would be, what if I could just spend an hour or several hours with my grandpa? Get, just get to know him. Well, Paul says here, the goal of our life is to know God better. But the problem is that we, we have a few uh, uh, barriers that keep us from knowing God better. One of the barriers is that we don't naturally want to get to know God better. The Bible says in Romans that none of us seek after God. So if we're going to get to know God better, God's going to have to help us. And he has. He's given us his word. That is the story. It's his story. It's history. His story. God's story. 
But he's given us his Holy Spirit, and the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to help us to know God better. What are we supposed to know about God? Well, it's what he told us in the first chapter. He wants us to know the blessings that have come to us from God because we're in Christ. The blessings that Jesus has procured for us because we're in Christ. The blessings the Holy Spirit wants to seal in us because we're in Christ. That's what he wants us to do. This is what Jesus said. That's why it's in red. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God wants us to ask him. How often do we say, Oh, Heavenly Father, would you give me the Holy Spirit to help me to know you better? God says, Jesus said, Oh, that's a good prayer. This, is a, uh, this man, uh, Clyden Snodgrass, is a, um, a commentator on the book of Ephesians. He wrote this. Christian living requires a continual openness to the Spirit and His communication to us, not about strange mysteries, but about what Christians have in the gospel and its significance for life. The Holy Spirit's job is to make Jesus real to us to make real to us and applicable in our lives what Jesus has done for us, what Jesus has given to us, how precious we are. That's the Holy Spirit's main job, is to make Jesus real to us so that we can know Him. That's Paul's first request. Here's the second one. I pray also that the eyes of your heart, I didn't know my heart had eyes, but it does, little eyes sticking out of that heart, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Three things there. Do you see that? I pray that you would be able to understand what you've been called to. I was thinking of um, a a football at the beginning of every season, and I understand here in Sheridan, you have a really good football team, and you've won state championships. Now, I'm not the uh, coach, but I can imagine what the coach does the first time the team gets together for the new year. First thing you say is, this is your calling. 500 season. Let's have a 500 season. What coach is going to do that? <laughs> no. The coach is going to say, this is your calling. State championship. That's what we're shooting for. And if we work together, and if we work hard, we can do it. This is our calling. And you know how many teams, by that calling, go forward. I, I, went, I came, went to a little school, really small, only had 29 in my class, and we didn't get the best and the brightest um, as teachers. Um, and I remember one of our, our, our basketball coaches, we were going to a game, and uh, he, we were in a locker room just before the game, and this was his speech. I can't believe he did it, but he said, um, I have a bad feeling about this game today. I don't think we're going to win. So he said, he said, so here's my advice. Shoot the ball. If you make it, you're a hero. If you miss it, I'm pulling you out of the game. Now, that gives you hope. How many of you are going to shoot the ball? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure, we, and I, I'm sure we lost that game. We lost, but yeah. Go out there, shoot the ball. If you make it, you're a hero. If you miss it, I'm pulling you. Well, you know what the percentage 
hardly anyone who's really, Michael Jordan doesn't shoot 50%. So you're going to be pulled. I was like, that gives you hope. That's not a call. No, what is our calling? We are, we are the body of Christ. We, rep, we resemble Jesus Christ. We represent Jesus Christ in this community. You can't get a higher calling. And then it says, I want you also to know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Almost all commentators say that what this means is we are God's inheritance. This is God's inheritance, not ours. He wants us to know how incredibly valuable we are to, to, to God. When God looks at the whole cosmos, we are the apple of his eye. Now that would make you feel pretty good about yourself. And he wants us to know the great power that he has made available to us in Christ. That's what he wants. We, um, we have here at uh, First Baptist Church a prayer chain, and I'm part of it. And I get these uh, emails, and I pray whenever I get them. Um, and I'm grateful for that. And as you know, if you've ever been on this prayer chain, most of the prayers are for physical things. And that is good. It should not be diminished in any ways. It's altogether appropriate. But that should never be stopped. But I fear sometimes that the spiritual things we don't include. Here's Victor Walters again. Quote, When we reached Paul's epistles and studied the Apostle Paul's 24 recorded prayers we discovered three principles we had never heard before. First is the principle of category prayer. Paul never prayed for individuals. He prayed for groups within the churches. If he had anything to say to an individual, he said it. In our church services, we found ourselves so often reversing this. We speak to groups and pray for individuals. He said, in the Bible, God prays for groups. Groups are very important to God. The unity of this body, the, the seeking a direction for this church together, the finding of the next pastor for this church, this is very important to God. But we have to do it together. Prayer is much more than just individual. It's corporate. It's much more than just physical things. It's also spiritual things. It's more than helping for somebody's needs. It's also praising God for what he has done. It's not just about praying what's failing. It's praying about what's working and giving thanks to God for that. Well, he ends uh, talking about the incre inc inc incomparably great power. So now Paul, in his typical way, is going to go off on that. What he does, it seems, is he gets... Can you imagine listening to his prayers? He says, and... And I pray that they would know power. Well, now, let me talk to you, Heavenly Father, about your power for a bit. And that's what he's going to do. Here it goes. The power of prayer. Here goes Paul's prayer. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. When we think about God wants us to know his incomparably great power to us who believe. How big is this power? Well, I'll tell you how big it is. It's the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God the Father. That's pretty great power. But it's greater still because there's more to this universe than, than just God. There's evil powers. Well, the next thing he says, 
But Jesus' power is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So not only does he say God has the power he makes available to us is the kind of power that raised Jesus from the dead, but it's also the power by which he vanquished all evil spirits in this world. Now, if you understand the Bible correctly, and I'm sure you do, Satan was defeated 2,000 years ago. That was the ultimate battle. It's over. Jesus defeated him on the cross. But as you know, he's wreaking havoc in our world. Why? Well, another football story. My senior year, I played uh, football, uh, and, and we were good, pretty good. And uh, we played against Northwestern Military Academy, and they were really bad. At halftime, we were ahead by 40 points. So, if you know anything about football, they didn't have a prayer. They couldn't possibly beat us. But you can, just because you can't win doesn't mean you're going to roll over and play dead. I don't know what their coach did, but he must have said something like this. Guys, we can't beat them, but we can hurt them. So he decided that, that they were supposed to hurt us. So they did everything dirty. They were doing things under the, uh, under the um, piles when we were tackled. And it got so bad that a fight broke out. I, I remember my father was there. He came out onto the field trying to break up the fight. And somebody took off their helmet and hit my dad in the head with his helmet. Um, that we never finished the game. They called the game. We beat him, I think, 50-something to nothing. Um, but that's just like Satan. They couldn't beat us but they can sure hurt us. That's Satan. But Jesus wants us to know greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. He has defeated Satan. Jesus' power on the cross defeated him decisively. Oh, he's still wreaking havoc, but he can't win. Now in this age and in the age to come, there is no power in heaven or on earth that can stand against the power of Jesus. There's none. He's defeated them. That's how great the power is, but it gets greater still. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed Jesus to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So how great is the power that God makes available to us, that he wants us to taste just a little bit of it? The kind of power that raised Jesus from the dead, the kind of power that put Jesus at the right hand of God, the kind of power that has defeated all the evil powers in this world, the kind of power that made Jesus the head of the church, and we have the privilege of being part of that body. That's the kind of power that's made available to us. And so what does it mean for us? Let me conclude with Several reminders, all of them beginning with the word be. The first one is be relieved. Um, I, 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 I've got a list of every prayer in the Bible, and I think the longest one is three minutes. That's the longest prayer in the Bible. Most prayers in the Bible are short. They're simple. They're not lengthy. They're not sophisticated the best prayers, it seems to me, are oftentimes the prayers of brand new Christians. They don't know what to say. I had a friend in, in, in Longmont. He was a, um, a PhD biophysicist. And he, he had just become a Christian. And he wanted to go on a walk with me in Boulder. And so I went on a walk. And <laughs> this guy was really funny. We were walking along. And, uh, and there was a tree. <laughs> he stopped at the tree and he'd say, 
Oh, God, this tree looks so dry. Won't you give it some water? I've never prayed for a tree in my life. But that's the way this guy did it. It was just so refreshing. He didn't know the rules. He had no idea. He just, when he saw, and I'll bet you God prayed, I'll bet you God watered that tree somehow. I don't know how, but it was just so simple, so, so sincere, so beautiful. You know, prayer is simple. You don't have to say the right words. God, you wouldn't do that with your children. They don't have to get their grammar correct. They don't have to fill it with these and those. You just want to talk to them. And that's what God wants as well. Be relieved. Second one, beware. Most of our information about prayer is not derived from the Bible. That's what Charles Swindoll noticed, and I think he's absolutely true. The problem with that, when we derive our information not from the Bible, is it, it, it gives us guilt rather than grace. It, it causes us to pull away from God rather than be drawn to Him. No, no. Let the Bible be our guide. And when you do, you'll find it's, it's full of grace in our prayer life. Third, be surprised. If the Bible is our primary prayer guide, we might be surprised with what we find. We find that, as I said, you pray for things that are working, not just for things that are failing. Maybe when we see somebody that we don't know, pray for them. They, God placed them in our path. Or when God's Holy Spirit prompts us, pray, talk to God, just like we would to anyone else. Be quiet and listen. This is what we're not very good at. Listening to God is perhaps most neglected element of prayer. If the Bible is our guide, God wants to talk to us. And He's prompting us all the time. But sometimes we run so fast we don't listen to Him. So be quiet. Next one, be proactive. God, like a good parent, wants us to ask Him for good things. I, I don't, your children, I'm sure, are like mine when they were little. You know, of course, they always want candy. You know, Daddy, I want some candy. Or Daddy, I want this and that. And you say to them, sometimes, of course, you give it to them. But uh, then you say, no, you can't have candy now because it'll spoil your supper. Or you can't have candy now because it'll spoil your teeth. And, and you say no to the child, but they keep asking. But no good parent would say to their child when they ask for candy, okay, kid, you've asked me a thousand times for candy, and I'm never going to give you candy, so don't ever ask me again. How many parents are going to do that? That's a bad parent. You don't ever say to your children, hey, stop asking me. You say, oh, child, you can always ask me, but I know more than you do. And sometimes I'm going to say no, but sometimes I'm going to say yes. But what I don't want you to ever do is to stop coming to me. And I think God would say the same. Don't ever stop. Keep coming to me all the time. And then be cautious. Prayer can very easily degenerate into ritual, meaningless repetition, or gimme sessions. Um, and this comes from Jesus. He's the one who, as he looked at the prayer life of the Pharisees in his day, he said it's you know, just a bunch of rote stuff you memorize without your heart. God does not want that, of course. And then be stretched. Broaden your prayer life to include spiritual, not just physical needs. Corporate, things for the body of Christ, not just individual concerns. And gratitude for what's working not just for what is failing. And last, be honest. Prayer in the Bible just is often very realistic and raw. Just read the Psalms. You'll get that very quickly. So I end with this very, very short prayer. 
Dear God, be a nice one to start a day with. Dear God, help me to live today in your power, with your perspective, and for your purpose. Amen. There was a couple that were driving to dinner, and it was their 25th anniversary, a very great occasion. And the heist, as the husband was driving the car, the, the wife turned to her husband, and, he, and she said, Honey, remember how it was when we were first dating and then we first got married? We used to sit so close together in the car, and now look at us. You're on that side, and I'm way over here. The husband didn't say anything for a couple of moments, and then he turned to his wife and said, Dear, I haven't moved. And that may be what God would say to us. So, oh, my prayer life is not the way it used to be. And God would say, Dear, I've never moved. You have. Come back. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we, we're so grateful that you offer your heart to us in prayer all the time. You long to have us talk to you. It's one of your great joys. We're your inheritance. We're your children. We're the ones that you bought with an infinite price. You love us. You've formed us together into the body of Jesus. You called us by your name. And you've made us to have an impact for you in this world. We're not really good at any of that. But you are. We pray that this week you'd make us who were intended by you to be the apple of your eye, the body of Jesus in this world, and your love and your joy. I don't know how it could get better than that. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with me. By the way, after the service, I'll be right up here, and if you'd like to pray with me, I will. I'd love that opportunity. And um, someone said this, freedom is not free. It, caused, it cost God his son and the son his life. And it will cost you your life too if you mean business. But to give your life to Jesus, there's nothing in this world greater or better than that. God bless you.